0: what's the nature of your emergency? Welcome back to another episode of Tactical Living by Leo Warriors. I'm your host, Ashley Walton.
1: And I'm your co-host, Clint Walton.
0: Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. It'll be different because this will be a series Today is going to be day number one of our three-part series on PTSD and suicide, because this week is National Suicide Awareness Week. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's content. We've talked about PTSD quite a few times as it pertains to this show and First Responders, but because it's National Suicide Prevention Week, I thought it was important to really lay out PTSD And suicide, what the correlation is, and today we're gonna focus on some of the symptoms. There's an endless amount of resources available on PTSD and suicide. I've done a lot of studies and research myself. This is an area of interest for me. I am not a healthcare professional, so if you do feel like you're alone and like you need to seek additional counsel, I'll leave additional resources in the info below. When it comes to any sort of post-traumatic traumatic stress disorder, this can happen in any element of people, and not just first responders, not just combat veterans. This could happen to a daughter. This could happen to a friend. This could happen to a parent. And a lot of the tendencies for these emotions tend to be the ones that people keep bottled up. Inevitably, anybody that has faced combat or any sort of combat exposure, be it in the military or being a first responder, you could face some post-traumatic stress as a result of that. As you sit there, maybe you or somebody you know had the unfortunate past history of child sexual abuse. Maybe you've been in a physically abusive relationship. Even experiencing terrorist attacks, thinking back to 9-11. This could also create instances of post-traumatic stress. Any sort of serious accident, such as being in a car accident, for example, this can create memories of what that tragic event was that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. Natural disasters, fires, tornadoes. We live in Southern California. We've talked about the earthquakes before. Experiencing something that is uncommon, that stimulates a stressor in you, that makes it feel like you're in the fight or flight response mode, to the extreme, I want to go into some of the symptoms, because if you were to look on websites such as save.org, they have it laid out in a way that explains things really well. One of the main symptoms of PTSD is reliving the event. I'll quote this, and it's also called re-experiencing the symptoms. Our prefrontal cortex gave us the ability to relive moments as though they were really happening. And we didn't have this back when we became homo sapiens. This is something that was developed over time. To be able to relive a moment, relive a memory, to picture everything about it, to even create the sense of smell and awareness as though you are back in that place once again. Reliving those moments time and time again, especially as it pertains to something tragic, could be a sign of post-traumatic stress disorder, flashbacks, having nightmares, even creating those flashbacks in a way to where they become so vivid that it starts to scare you. Another symptom could be avoiding situations that remind you of that event that took place. Maybe for you that means staying away from people, certain places, things that remind you of what, what had happened, what you experienced sometimes feeling numb to the situation. Avoiding or even thinking about the experience altogether is also a sign of post-traumatic stress. Again, these aren't things that I come up with myself. I'm taking some of this from save.org. If you were to look up their PTSD and suicide awareness, I'm taking some of what is said here, and I'm also incorporating some of the things that I've learned along the way. Any negative changes in beliefs and feelings. Maybe things are fine, but all of a sudden you start to feel fearful or guilt or shame. Maybe sometimes as you sit there, you lose interest in activities that you remember you used to like once in the past for some, they might stuff those feelings of that tragic event so far back that they have trouble remembering that event altogether. That could be another symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. As you sit there, maybe you've seen movies of a combat veteran coming home and he, he hears a firework going off or a slamming of a door and that startles them those hyperarousal symptoms are also symptoms that could be PTSD-related. Sometimes people that have symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder will feel that it's difficult to concentrate or even sleep at night, being easily agitated or angry. These are just four of the the main components of reliving the moment, avoiding situations, the negative changes in belief and the hyper arousal that could mean that if this is something that you continuously feel could be related to a tragic event that you've experienced in the past. And as you sit there, maybe you yourself or somebody that you know has experienced some of these symptoms before. I want to point out that there's nothing wrong with you or them if that's the case. All of these symptoms are normal. They're normal if you're faced with these types of instances that you should have never had to have faced in the first place. And I have a big problem with there being such a lack of awareness on the fact that it's okay to have these sorts of feelings these sorts of symptoms because people are made to feel like there's something wrong with them. It's not wrong if that's a consequence of an event that it happened. What else could you expect? But the problem lies in people not feeling that it's okay to come forth and to share that they're experiencing these things. And Clint, I know that we've talked a lot about first responders having many of these symptoms and experiencing these things and not wanting to showcase their truths for fear of retribution or the negative feelings that they think other people might have on them. But if we could just keep it real for a second, and let's pretend you had a partner come to you and they talked to you about a really terrible call that they went on a week ago. And they're just venting to you. And they're expressing one, two, maybe all of these symptoms. What would your perception of that person be?
1: I wouldn't have any negative perception towards them at all. It would be almost one of offering resources to them and trying to just hold space for them to allow them to express everything that they need to. And I think it's so important in so many ways, we utilize humor as kind of a venting process to kind of make fun of a specific instance or to work ourselves through that. And I would possibly joke with that person.
0: You know, you bring up the topic of humor, and I've been studying a lot of Joe Navarro's work. He's a former FBI agent and he studies nonverbals. He's probably the most intelligent when it comes to reading nonverbals. And he showcases the fact that using humor oftentimes will pacify somebody. And that really puts on a front for what's going on on a deeper level.
1: And that's interesting to hear because I see it on such a regular basis with just everyone I work with. You know, we rationalize things to a point of, well, if it had to happen to someone, at least it happened to them, or whatever else it may be. Joking at a traffic, a tra- tragic traffic accident. Well, well, I just wanted my lunch, so I ate my cheeseburger over the dead guy sitting in the, the passenger seat or whatever else it may be, but that's not really addressing those issues that are underlying. So in the example where my partner comes up to me, I would almost recommend them to talk to somebody. But with them coming to me, I would take that as them wanting to talk with me and I would almost be there for them to hold that container per se for them to let them get what they feel off their chest. And if I recognize something that needs to go to a medical professional, I would definitely tell them they should seek that out. But in most cases, as police officers, as first responders, we don't want to do that because of the label. Because we feel if we do that we're going to be judged by our peers. We're the manliest men that, and it, it kind of makes me laugh, earlier your dad said, "I, when I was younger, I never cried. I believed that men were not supposed to cry. I took that and I held that. Because when you experience something so tragic that no human being should see, there comes a point where you may just have to let it go and learn the techniques and tools of embodiment or of meditation or prayer, whatever, it, whatever else it may be, to kind of get that off your chest.
0: I really like that response because it shows that even if that first step of getting something off your chest is... Seeking the counsel of somebody that you know and trust, it doesn't always have to be a medical professional, or at least it doesn't have to be as the first step. And it would take a lot of courage to take that first step to open your mouth and say, hey, listen, I'm feeling something as a result of something I experienced or something that I saw. It doesn't feel good. Like, I need to let off this steam.
1: And I think that's something as a partner, as a peer, whatever else we may be in that profession, we all need to start holding that space for our partners. There's no one else out there better to help each other work through it than one another.
0: That brings up a good point, and it's that it works both ways. A lot of times, we don't want to showcase our concern either. I know especially as a first responder, doing the simple act of going to a partner and asking, you know, is everything okay when you know something that they experienced the day or the week before might be difficult to do. But that opens up the pathway and even sharing, like if if you don't want to talk about it now, if you start to feel something later, I'm here. Like you have somebody in your corner, whether you want to discuss it or you just want somebody to hold that container.
1: Yeah, and I really look at that and I, and I think of this instance of after an officer involved shooting, my department specifically has a counselor there, but they mandate you go talk to that counselor before they clear you to even go home. In that instance, you can go in the room, introduce yourself, they'll ask you a few questions, and it's either open or closed off, however much you want it to be. And having guys let go of their ego enough to where when they come out of that room, their partners, oh, what did you say to your counsel- the counselor? Oh, I didn't say nothing or whatever. Or I opened up to him. then most of the time, either your partners are OK with it or they're going to give you a hard time for opening up. And that's something that we really want to get away from of critiquing others for the bravery to open up in those instances because taking a life is not an easy situation and having to go through that is something that not everyone will or should hold lightly.
0: You said in an instance like that, to get away from letting go of that ego is important. And I think that's so important regardless of the profession or regardless of what it is that somebody has experienced. And I think when people know it's okay to be expressive about any sort of symptoms that you're feeling after an event, be it immediately after, days after, even years after when you come to the point of knowing it's been bottled up for too long, now I'm ready to release it. That it's okay to be accepting of those symptoms and to know that those symptoms don't define who you are. It's merely something you're experiencing and it won't last forever. But the way that it won't last forever is usually by getting help and by taking that first step and letting go. And whether it's you as you sit there listening or somebody that you know that's experienced something, it's my hope that you know that you don't have to hold on to it if you are. And you can share it with somebody in confidence, be it a friend, be it a professional. There are so many resources that are available. You can even do it through text now. And I'll leave the links in the show notes here in case you or anyone that you know might need them. And when you know that you're not alone in experiencing any of these symptoms, and you understand that the general population at one point in their life will experience one or many of these symptoms too, and that it's okay to release them, and you don't have to hold on to them, and you're not alone, then you're really able to enjoy your tactical living.